Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. All right, we are mic'd up, psyched up, and about to get silly on episode 66 of We Do Recover with Jared Miller. I'm your host, Jared Miller. I am joined by a special guest for episode 66, David Rocher? Yep. I nailed it. I got you it right. It. Yep. Fantastic. David is with the Other Side Academy. I've been struggling with the last name all morning, but we're having fun with it. David's a great guy. He's a good sport. So, uh, yeah. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Jared. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, what we typically do is start off with like some new and goods. Practice a little positive psychology. So, Dave, what's new and good in your life? Um, New and good. I think in the last week, I've gotten back into... Uh, physical activity. I was in a gym a couple years ago and blew my left tendon. So that put me down for a minute. I've had a bad back for years. And seven months ago, I had a double uh, surgery that went through the front, went through the back. That took some time to Ooh. recover from. But this past Saturday, I started running again. And I was a five mile a day guy for years. Uh, so I'm starting to run again. And today I was in the gym for the first time. So it's good to be back to where I can do things again and recover from uh, those injuries and those surgeries. Fantastic. So that one. had to feel good getting back into the yeah, gym. Yeah, it does. You know, and prior to, you know, two and a half, about 26, 27 months ago, I was five miles a day, ran a half marathon in October of 17, then had the injuries. And that put me, you know, it just put me on the shelf for a while. So it feels really good to be back. <laughs> Dave, I've always been fascinated with people that do half marathons, marathons, triathlons, Ironman stuff. I mean, yeah. to pay to go through that excruciating pain. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, you give me 100 yards, I can, you know what I mean? I'll do a 100-yard dash. I, right. Sign me up for that all day long. But, man, that's some distance. Yeah. So my hat's off to you. Are, is you. that the goal is to kind of try to get back there? I, I don't think I'm going to do that again. I mean, I might run a half marathon again in a year or two. We'll just see, you know what I mean, because I'm kind of a masochist when it comes to that. It's, <laughs> it's fun, especially at my age at 55, to be able to accomplish that at my age. But it's not my goal. I just want to get back in shape. I want to get, I want to live longer, right? And that two and a half, you know, almost two and a half years off, I noticed a difference. Put some weight on, was lethargic, didn't feel good about me physically, you know, and I needed to get back. So it feels really good to be back uh, on the pavement. I hear you on that. I totally know what you mean. So uh, listen, today I used to work out for the ego, right? The, the ego, Jared. Mm -hmm. uh, today it's just- Curls for the girls? Curls for the girls. Right. You got it. You're right. on, we're on the same page. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today it's more bias like- for, Bias for the guys? No? <laughs> no. You said get silly, right? <laughs> anyway, go I ahead. Sorry it. to interrupt. I love it. No, it's great. Uh, today it's it's more like, man, I'm, I'm in a pretty cranky mood. I need to hit the gym. I need to get yeah. some good chemicals going up in the brain, some endorphins flowing. So I hear you. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah so that's a, that's a good thing for me right now. Good, good. Well, Sean Denovan, what's new and good? What's going on in your world? I've added new buttons to the to the podcast, so now people can see the back of my head. There, that's Sean Denovan that's, that's right the there. Back of my head over here. <laughs> you, you just like can't show your face. You got to stay, stay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, was it Wilson on the other side of the yes. fence? Was the name? Yeah. yeah. I so. love it. You got all kinds of new bells and whistles for us today, man. Yeah, this is pretty you, cool. you get to be the guinea pig. I'm trying some new thing. I'm trying to up the game. We got a couple new lights in here to do some new lighting technique, and then I've added some uh, multi-camera work. So, like, where's my wide camera? Uh, I'm still figuring out where the buttons are, so I'm not even going to try it. So, it's anyway, fine. It's, yeah, that's great. We're getting there. One thing I love about Sean, uh, Dave, is he's always looking to improve. You yeah. know? It's awesome. Great yeah. quality to have. All right, well, let's jump into this thing. So, what... You're with the Other Side Academy. Mm -hmm. What is your official position with the Other Side Academy? I'm the executive director. Executive director. Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, with the Other Side Academy, how'd you end up in Southern Utah? Like what, what did, I know you had a little bit of business you had going on down here. Yeah. How did you end up on this podcast? What what have you been doing today? Well, we we came down to to St. George to have a to do a presentation for a group of judges, uh, and then following the group of judges, it was LDAs and prosecutors to share with them the model, who we are, who we help, how we do it, what makes us so unique, and a number of other things. So it was a, a, a definitely an afternoon well spent. And Robin, who now heads my legal department set the podcast up as well as those meetings. So she's really done a, a fantastic job of getting us into some of these smaller, when I say smaller counties and smaller jails and smaller judicial communities, other than just Salt Lake and Utah County. So that's what, why we're here today. And Robin's a hustler. Mm -hmm. The promo yeah. for you guys that saw the promo, she's on the promo. She was planning on coming, but mm -hmm. hey, guess what? In recovery, life happens. Yeah. 
and she had some stuff she had to do, yeah. and so that's okay. Well, actually, what happened was we had we interviewed two guys in the jail over the past couple of weeks and accepted them, and the judges and LDAs let them come and held them in jail for us to get here to do our presentations and then bring those guys back to Salt Lake City to the Other Side Academy. That sounds way more important than coming on the podcast. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, sweet. Okay, tell tell me a little bit about the Other Side Academy. I know you guys do things a little bit different, a different model, as you stated. Uh, it, I know... I've heard some things. I, I've actually, I'll protect his anonymity, right? I'm not going to give up who it is, but I've referred somebody to the Other Side Academy because I heard some, some good things. So tell me a little bit about the Other Side Academy. So I think, you know, before I get into the, the Other Side Academy, it's important for me to share who we're not. We're not a 30, 60, 90 day treatment facility, although we help the same population. My average student's been arrested over 25 times. Right now I've got 97 students at the Other Side Academy. Uh, the average arrest is 25. I have a small cadre of people who have never been arrested. I can count them all in one hand. That's uh, how few. And some over 50 times, but the aggregate total was 25.6. So it's a long-term drug addict coupled with the criminal piece. Very difficult population to help. And anybody who thinks that a guy who's been arrested 25 times and been a long-term drug addict can get the help that they need in 30 days probably needs more help than that guy. Um, you know, <laughs> can you get clean and sober? Absolutely. But, yeah. you know, as we go through the podcast, I'll talk more about that because I don't care if someone gets clean and sober. It doesn't matter. You can put them in jail and have them in jail for 365 days in their cell. Um, when they get out, they go straight to Flacco's house to pick up. But they were clean and sober for 365 days. Right. It doesn't forced. matter. Yeah. 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 It, it's about whole person change. So we're not 30, 60, 90 days. Uh, we are completely free. We're two and a half years long. Hold on, minimum. Dave. Did you just use the F-R-E-E word? I did. I know, it's, I, know it's, I know it's a bad word. So you'll have to My mind it. just, I just had it. My mind just came apart. That's, yeah. that's so how, yeah. how does that work? Well, I'll explain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when I, when I say free, I mean, we don't take any money from the government. City, county, state, federal government, rich mommy and daddy, Medicaid, nothing. That's the beauty of the model. It really is the beauty, and it's long, two and a half years, and residential. So people go, wait a second, it's residential, two and a half years long, and it's free? Uh, yes, and they ask the next question, well, how do you do it? Well, we run our own social enterprises, and there's a reason for that too. When I was going to jail, who was paying for me to be there? The taxpayer. Yeah, the taxpayer. When I'm absolutely. going to prison, who's paying for me to be there? The taxpayer. If I'm going to a 30, 60, 90 day model, and I'm not self-paying, somebody else is paying for it. Why should anybody else pay for my bad decisions? They shouldn't. I should. At the Other Side Academy, we have our own social enterprises that generate the revenue. Our moving company, for those of you who are listening, look up the Other Side Movers, um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of five-star reviews. We do about 300 moves a month. We are the number one rated moving company in the entire state of Utah. 2018, we won the Ernst & Young Entrepreneurs of the Year with a moving company ran exclusively by ex-felons and ex-drug addicts. Let that sink in, right? Ex if you were going to start a for-profit uh, social enterprise under the nonprofit umbrella, would you start a moving company with ex-felons and ex-drug addicts? Probably not. You yeah. should, because they have experience moving your valuables, but that's another <laughs> conversation. Um, but it's the number one rated moving company in the entire state. Then we have some thrift boutiques, 35, 40,000 square foot showrooms. When you walk in, you'll think you went into Macy's. That's not an exaggeration. If you're ever in Salt Lake, go to the other side thrift boutique. Then we have a small construction uh, business. Um, uh, flat concrete work, remodels, basements, kitchens, bathrooms, you name it, we do it. And we're starting literally as we speak a storage facility, moving company, thrift stores, storage. They all fit nicely together. Most people who move have things they don't want. Boom. They end up in the thrift store and they need storage. Those social enterprises generate all of the revenue so we can continue to do the work that we're doing without charging anything, uh, anybody anything to be there. Think about how, that, how important that is. That means the day the student or the inmate gets there, they're part of the solution, not the problem. Nobody is paying for them to be there. They're generating the revenue themselves. Shouldn't we? We destroyed our lives. Shouldn't we be responsible for fixing them? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a great accountability piece. I also think that that gives them some acceptance with their peers around mm -hmm. them. It gives them some kind of purpose so that they're, yeah. you know, getting up and getting after it and yeah. have something to look forward, forward to throughout the day. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I like it. Well, so the, remind me, so you, you got quite a bit going on there, right? Yeah. Now, you're a 501c3 nonprofit, correct? Correct. Okay. So, so you've got the show, uh, the thrift store. Mm-hmm. Construction. Mm -hmm. I'm a terrible listener. You moving company. Moving company. Big moving company. Yeah. yeah. So is that kind of the bread and butter is the moving company? The moving company was the bread and butter. It was this first social enterprise that we started. Uh, now the two thrift stores, because they're very big thrift boutiques, right? Uh, like I said, about 30, 35,000 square feet. And they're beautiful. 
well-maintained, high-end merchandise. It's not like people think Goodwill, DI, uh, stop thinking that. Come to the thrift store. You will literally walk outside thinking you walked into Nordstrom's or Macy's thinking you're in the wrong place, and the customer service is bar none. But the reason why that's so important is this. I go into jails and prisons all over the country, but primarily here in Utah, and I talk to inmates. Sometimes there's 25 of them. Sometimes there's 300, depending on the venue, right? Sure. And I ask everybody in the room, who knows how to work? And all their hands go up, and I call them all liars. And I can do that because I'm them just farther removed. I tell them all, you're liars. And they look at me like I'm crazy, right? And I'll ask somebody, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a carpenter. What are you building in your cell? And you? Well, I'm a mechanic. Changing a transmission today? How about you? Well, I'm a culinary (laughs) artist. All you're making is a top ramen today? What do you... And the thing, the reason why I do that is if you knew how to work, that's where you'd be. Where are you today? Jail. That's what you know how to do. Yeah. You've had more jobs than you can count, but you can't keep them. So the social enterprises are, is the Petri dish. We can go to a lot of other programs. We can get therapy and do all those things and sit around until the day that we're going to graduate, right? Then go back out into the workplace, not know how to be on time not know how to follow simple instructions, not know how to have a good attitude, go to break, come back on time, lunch, come back on time, uh, take some feedback. That's the area where most of our population fail miserably. We've had a thousand jobs and lost them all. We can get them, we can't keep them. So talk to me a little bit about, it's. there's a certain type of individual though, right? I mean, your model works for somebody who, like behavior mod change. You know, they've been in and out of jails. They, like you said, they can't, maybe they have different skills, but they can't Mm -hmm. hold a job. Yeah. So if I'm going to the other side academy, what is it that I should expect? Like you said residential and yet Mm -hmm. they have to be able to leave, right? To be able to go do these these different. But nobody goes anywhere by themselves. They don't just walk off premises or go jump in a car. They don't have cell phones to call their buddies to come over. You know, we've been open since 2015 now for going on seven years and not, not to digress, but every single one of my students is on adult parole and probation, AP and P, and we've never, not a single time in our existence given a dirty drug test to adult parole and probation because the culture is so strong. So the social enterprises provide the opportunity for men and women to learn to work, really learn how to be an employee, maybe a manager, depending on how long they're in that department. But it's critical because the Petri dish then allows them to all those behaviors that led them there to manifest themselves and then then they can become exposed and that's when they start getting their feedback. So to answer your question, what's expected? Get up, go to work, have a good attitude, don't get caught up, tell the truth, go to bed. Get up, go to work, have a good attitude, tell the truth, don't get caught up, go to bed. And do it for hundreds, if not thousands of days in a row until you recalibrate your moral compass. That's what's expected of you. I like it. So so you give them actual feedback right there in real time. Yep. Is is that ever like kind of blow up? Do you ever have like some, some, or are you guys pretty discreet about pulling them aside, taking them into the back? it, It really depends. Sometimes... Well, myself, other staff members or senior students will take them in the quorum, that's the room, and give them a verbal reprimand for whatever they've done. Now, most of our population have been patted on the rear end and powdered for many, many years. Oh, you poor drug addict. It's not your fault. You have a disease. It's okay. On and on. And they get used to that. And then the reason why they don't change is because usually soft, easy doesn't change people especially this population. So sometimes you have to raise the level of the voice to match the level of the transgression. You have to remember, my average student's been arrested 25 times. They're liars, cheaters, thieves, manipulators. None of them went to jail for singing too loud in the church choir. They didn't get pulled out of Dixie State for being straight-A students. People get lost. Oh, the poor people. They're not. These are human beings making decisions that are really bad for them and those around them that have an impact on the community, their families, their kids, everybody. We tell them the truth. But here's the other important thing. We love them. First, if all you do is love somebody unconditionally, it's condition, it, it's, it's, it's permission to continue with the same behavior. If all you do is verbally berate them for what they've done, that's mean. But when love and truth come together, you can influence change. So it's, it's just kind of a different level of accountability that you're providing. Absolutely. To and direct feedback, very direct, it sounds very like direct. feedback. Yeah. Okay. Why wouldn't we want direct feedback? We've gotten away from that in this country. We're so concerned about hurting people's feelings, especially this population. Then we're, we're concerned about hurting people's feelings who didn't care about anybody else's feelings. Mm. And if we don't become tough emotionally, right, resilient emotionally, if we don't get to a point where we can take some feedback and make it our best friend so we can make those changes, how are we ever going to make it in the real world? Yeah, no, absolutely, Dave. I mean, to some degree, I can absolutely uh, co-sign that and, and subscribe to that. 
Um, a, a big thing that I talk about with, with my clients is your blind spots. Mm. You know, if you have blind spots or things that you're unaware of until somebody points it out to you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So it sounds like that's kind of what you guys do. You pull them aside. Mm. Hey, this is not okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and then the behavior moving forward. Yeah. Can I share something else with you that makes Absolutely. this different? You know, a lot of places that you go, you get there on a Tuesday and guess who you get to visit on Sunday, your significant other. Now, if you're a drug addict and you're a criminal, who are you dating? Probably not the, the healthiest people. So the relationship's already toxic. Drug addicts almost inevitably don't know how to have a healthy relationship with anyone. How could you if you don't have one with yourself? And I want people to really understand what I'm saying. If I'm a drug addict and was for 27 years and I was a criminal, hardcore, in and out of prison, I don't love me. If I want to enter into a relationship with somebody, how am I going to show up? I'm going to show up the me that doesn't love me. How am I going to show up in a healthy way? Our population has no idea what it's like to be in a healthy relationship. So if you're dating somebody, they're probably drug addicts and criminals too. So the relationship's already toxic. It's not even there. It's just a drug relationship. And if you're a guy like me who was a drug addict for 27 years in and out of prison and I'm dating somebody who isn't, she needs more help than I do. Anybody who would date me while I was living that lifestyle, that doesn't say a whole lot about them, right? What they're willing to settle for. There's no boundaries. They're allowing me to live that lifestyle and bring it around them. That's not healthy either. So we don't let you have a relationship. You're not going to date for years while you're there. You have to learn to have a relationship with yourself first. Makes sense. Yeah. You got to put that oxygen mask on yourself before Absolutely. you try yeah. interacting with other people or yeah. saving anybody else. Yeah, you get it. So, so talk to me about, do you guys do group therapy? You do any of the group staffing? Do they, on weekends, what does it that, that look yeah. like? I mean, cause we're talking, it's a two year program, right? Mm -hmm. They have to make a two year commitment. Mm -hmm. So I, I heard something about, uh, games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Talk to me a little bit about that. So a, a couple of things I think that are important. Number one, there's no doctors, counselors, or therapists, and there's a reason for that. And if we get back to it, I'll share why that doesn't seem to work well in our population. But twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, 7.30 to roughly 10 o'clock, you'll have 20 students in one room, 20 in another, until everybody is in a room. And that's peer feedback. For example, let's say, Jared, you were out on a move and everybody else was picking up the sofas and the safes and you're picking up pillows, just, you know, not caring, right? right? When you were in the dining room, we were cleaning up, you took the Twinkies, hid them behind the toaster so you could get to them later. You passed a note to a girl who you're not allowed to write the girls at all. And when you go to your room and there's one hour for six guys to shower and get cleaned up, you take 45 minutes in the shower. Mm. So Tuesday nights and Friday nights, the, 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 your peers are going to play the game with you. Jared, what is wrong with you? You've been here for a year. You know you're not supposed to talk to the women. Why are you writing a note to a girl? She just got here. She's got a 10-year uh, sentence suspended over her head. In that letter, you said you care about her. If you cared about her, you'd have left her alone. You don't care about anybody but yourself. Then in the dining room, you hide those Twinkies behind the toaster. If you were at 7-Eleven and you put them in your pocket, it's stealing. What's the difference? You're a thief either way. When you go to your room, you take 45 minutes in the shower, leaving 15 minutes for the other five guys. Why are you so selfish? So those are just so a couple answer, examples. They answer to their peers. There's a level of yes. accountability and they're going to get some direct feedback. Yes. And hopefully that's really going to motivate them to change. Right. Who better to help us than us? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's yeah. And you're hearing it from people. And oftentimes when our students get there, they'll see people they knew previously who were completely different people. They're like, wow, if he can change or she can change, so can I. I can do this. But we have to give each other real feedback. We have to tell each other the truth. If we don't tell each other the truth, we're not helping anybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with that 100%. That's the point of group therapy, right? Yeah. Is to give each other feedback and yep. put each other, you know, uh, in our place kind of when we need that and point yeah. out some of those blind spots. So, yeah. so that, fantastic. Two years. They get to leave on passes at all. So once you've been there for, okay, so you're there. After 30 days, you can write home to the people who raised you. After 90 days, you can call the same people you're writing. At a year, they can come visit you. This is important. Every drug addict, I don't care who you are, and if this hurts your feelings, it's because it's true, are needy. We are needy, needy people. And we become dependent on our families, and we end up using our families. So we want our students to learn to be self-sustaining, stand on their own two feet. For once in your life, at 40 years old, cut the umbilical cord. Have a different relationship with your family. Learn to stand on your own two feet. More times than not, the families are the problem. They either use with the students at some point, right? Slamming dope at 13 sure. years old. Yeah. Or they enabled the heck out of them and let them come home from jail 25 times and listen to 25 different lies that I won't do it again. And you're enabling them to continue with the same behavior. So it's very structured, right? The people you're writing have to be healthy. 
right? The people you're calling have to be healthy. You don't get to write everybody and call everybody in your family because a lot of those people you were getting high with. So you have to understand it's on an individual basis, but there are time uh, uh, frames that we, we, we go off of. No one leaves with a pass. Once you've been there for a while, you can leave with your peers to go different places, but no one just gets up and goes anywhere they want. They got to fill out an out of facility. It's got to be signed by the people that oversee them. And that's why in the six and a half years that we've been open, Jared, six and a half years, we have never given a dirty drug test to adult parole and probation because no one goes anywhere by themselves. Nobody has a cell phone to call all their past toxic relationships until they've been there for three or four years, then they can get a phone. But they're going to have to earn that right because if you give them a phone at 30 days or give them the freedoms at 30 days, they don't know how to deal with that freedom. Right. Yeah, they'll abuse it. Well, they could abuse it. Yeah. Right. I don't yeah. want to do any... Uh, Broad strokes. Yeah. yeah. Any future predicting or any assumptions here. I know those are... Um, what we call cognitive distortions, but, but yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. Absolutely. I think that that's a, a big part of why it's tough when people step down into an outpatient setting is because they get all that stuff back and their heads just spinning, right? They're, they're not ready for it. Yeah. So what, what else do you want people to really know about the other side Academy? What it makes, what makes it different? It sounds to me like it's a very, uh, good program for people that have a rap sheet, let's just call it what it sure. is, right? Sure. And struggle with the substance use disorder. Yeah. Here's the thing, you know, we've got, in, in this country, we've gotten to a point where we're so soft on crime. We're so soft on the drug addict. You look at California, it's sinking because they're just c- completely dis- destroying the entire state because they're not holding people accountable. If you are, uh, if you got $10 million in the bank and you're sitting comfortably ensconced in your own home, you know, smoking drugs all day, leave the person alone until they want some help and then they can go pay for it because they've got the money. But if you're out there committing crimes and breaking into people's homes and stealing their weapons and selling them on the open market or closed market for that matter, if you're breaking into people's cars and stealing their identification and destroying their uh, identity and their credit, you deserve to be held accountable for those decisions and there shouldn't be excuses made while he's a drug addict. I don't care. Everybody listening to this show, you, me, everybody knows the difference between right and wrong. We choose wrong. We should be held accountable to those decisions. So the thing about the Other Side Academy that makes it so special is we don't make excuses for people. There aren't any. Everybody knows the difference between right and wrong. We choose right. There are positive consequences. We choose wrong. There are negative consequences. Welcome to life. At the Other Side Academy, you're going to be there for a long time hearing about yourself, getting an opportunity to make those changes, and you can stay as long as you need to. The beauty of the model is you don't have to leave on day 30, day 60, or day 90. Um, Nobody, nobody is ready on day 30, day 60, or day 90. People leave programs for one of two reasons, because they can, because they have to. Usually they have to because the funding's run out. At the Other Side Academy, the funding never runs out. You can stay in the mode of practice of doing the right thing every day until it becomes who you are, not just what you do. And that's different for everybody. Um, the other beautiful thing is at the end, the two most important times in your stay is how do you, uh, uh, how do you acclimate in and how do you segue out? Every single graduate, when they come up on their graduation, we have a full-time job for them. Now, I challenge anybody listening to find me another program that does this. Every single graduate has a full-time job, a living wage. We also have a couple of financial institutions that help us. Ally Bank is one of them. If you stayed two years, you save 5000 they match that dollar for dollar. You save five, they give you a check for five. You stay three years, you save five, they match it two to one. They give you a check for 10000 So you can take that money and kind of hit the ground running to rebuild you bet. your future. You no longer have an excuse to, oh, I can't get a job, right? We make sure you have one upon graduation. We now, do they, do they get paid while they're there working or that goes to room and board? That goes to room and board, okay. training, all that stuff. But once they've been there for 18 months and longer, they start getting walking around money, wham. The longer you're there, the more you get. So you can leave with your peers and go get coffee, go to a movie, go to dinner, bikes and Christmas presents. The longer you're there, the more you get, but you don't get paid while you're there. Right. We start paying people as soon as they get there. They're off and running. They're, you know, first paycheck, they're getting drugs again. So Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's good that they get a little bit of money so that they can feel somewhat normal and get out yeah. and do things with their peers and yeah. really get acclimated back into society in a positive way. Yeah, we call it graduated mastery. A little bit at a time with some mentorship and some coaching. A little more, a little more, a little more. Exactly. Absolutely. I Listen, we, we have different modalities, but I let people come on and share what their belief is. And I love it. I appreciate you coming on, Dave. So episode 66 is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers, where they're ready to help when you're ready to reach out. Reach out to them by calling them at 801-800-8142. We've got about 40 seconds left here in this in this first part. Um, yeah. My mind just kind of went blank. I completely spaced mm. the sponsorship mention. <laughs> so in episode two, Aaron, in uh, part two, though, when we come back on, 
hopefully you'll feel comfortable telling us a little bit about you and your sure. story and how you ended up doing what you're doing today. Absolutely. Happy cool. to do it. Cool. All right. Well, Sean, you got anything? No, you're doing good. Keep it up. <laughs> I always have a hard time with these clock things. There it is. I was waiting for the music. A little usher in the background? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. I don't know. Join us in episode 66, part two, where Dave talks about how he came to, to be working at the Other Side Academy and his life in recovery today. Thank you. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. Hi, everybody. I'm Shalee. I'm one of the clinical directors at Steps Recovery Center. At Steps, we really want to focus on the individual and not just the person in addiction. We want to have the ability to help from the time you enter and tell the time you finish, whether you need healing from trauma or family issues and concerns. We got you covered from the start of your journey to the end of your journey. We're just here to help when you're ready for us to help you. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. All right, we're back from that little break. Thank you for that, uh, Steps Recovery Center. So um, in episode 66, Dave has come on and in part one, he's shared with us the Other Side Academy, how it's a little different, different modality. Um amazing i i think it's pretty cool that you guys you're doing something different than just putting people incarceration and letting them sit and have nothing else right like you're yeah. given an opportunity to really get back into society learn some positive working behaviors yeah. level accountability for everybody i i think it's great man i think it's awesome talk to me a little bit about you though dave okay how did you get to the point to where you're working in the industry that you work in now there's a couple times that you mentioned you've been arrested how many times i, I couldn't tell you you don't yeah. look like a guy that's like, you know what I mean? A hardcore criminal. Yeah. So, so something, it must've changed somewhere for you. Yeah. Um, do you want me to just start my story at the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, started drinking at like 12 years old. Uh, 12. Yeah. 12 years old. I, I would go get the beers, right. For my dad's, uh, friends and I would take the first drink and I'd clean up afterwards and take the last one. And he wasn't teaching me how to drink, but I was just watching people and that's, you know, and I kind of liked Learned it. Behavior. Right? And yeah. then I started stealing alcohol out of his decanter and I replaced it with water. Cause of course he'd never figured out. And then he was coming home from work and having a drink and realizing he wasn't getting the desired effect he was looking for, but I was, as you can imagine, <laughs> that conversation didn't go well. Um, and I was kind of like a dentist, the menace anyway, I was getting in trouble and I was in prison, literally, uh, on restriction in my room well before I ever started using, it's just the kind of kid I was, but between the ages of 13 and 14, I did my first line of cocaine and, uh, and I thought I found God. It was just, it was crazy. And it was back in the eighties and it was, you know, expensive and, uh, I didn't have a job, right? I'm a teenager. Right. 13, and, 14. Yeah. It was yeah. crazy. And I stole everything you could possibly imagine breaking into neighbors' homes, stealing from mom and dad, got in my dad's wallet, got into the, you know, got the, the safe combination, got in the safe, stole countless thousands of dollars. That's the kind of kid I was, writing bad checks of my dad's and getting busted at the bank, you know, trying to cash him, all that kind of stuff to support a coke habit as a teenager. Somehow I graduated high school, uh, which is still a mystery. Let, to let me. me pump the brakes real fast though. Did your parents ever oh, like, absolutely put you in a, <coughs> sorry, in a, like a youth camp or youth home or not, not in a youth or? camp, but let, let me explain to you. And this is probably why I feel the way I do about counselors and therapy for me personally. <laughs> okay. um, I'm 17 years old. I'll try not to personalize right, No, don't. No, I'll just tell my story, right? <laughs> yeah. At 17 years old, uh, my mom and dad have a van. They get me a counselor. His name is Mark. He lives in Anaheim. We live in Cerritos. I drive from Cerritos. I go by the Connects. I pick up my Coke. I do a couple lines. I go to therapy. And I remember Mark so proud of me for being clean and calling my mom and dad and telling them how great I'm doing. I'm high during the, the therapy session and it's in my pocket. That was my first uh, experience with therapy. Did Mark have any any background, any knowledge, any None. experience? That is why. Yeah. That is exactly why. And I'm glad you said that because we can get back to that here in a minute. Yeah. How important that piece is, having the experiential overlap, having lived experience, because then you spot that stuff. Oh, yeah, from a mile away. Right. He couldn't. I got over on him. Right. And I'm 17. I'm not even right. I'm just... That's just what I was doing. So anyway, I, I managed to graduate high school, but when I graduated high school, I went from cocaine to methamphetamine and that's really where the wheels fell off. They were already getting loose, but now they're falling off. And I never set out to be a drug dealer. That was never my, 
intent. I didn't even think about it, but I'd buy some. You were like 10 years old and like, ah, I think I'll become a drug dealer for the rest of my life. Right. John Gotti or, you know. I don't think anybody really has that, right? Right. Yeah. So I'm buying some, selling some, buying some, selling some. And then pretty soon I realized that I could probably support my habit doing this, buying a little more, selling a little more. And as fate would have it, I started getting in trouble and going to jail. My first prison term was two years long, went to prison, got out, stayed out for 59 days, got busted again, went to prison, did five years, stayed out for 60 days, went back to prison for a six-year sentence, stayed out for four months, went back to prison for a 10-year sentence. So I was selling drugs, uh, and it became a lot, uh, a lot of weight, loaded firearms, uh, black talons, cop killers in them. That was getting me a lot of time. So when I got got busted with that. Oh, yeah. So, so you were doing some serious time, right? I was, you know, a two year prison term, five year, six year, 10 year. And this is out in California, all in California. And prison's a little different in California than it is in Utah. I won't get into the weeds about it, but it is a little different. (laughs) Um, and, and I survived, right? I managed to get through it. And, you know, I've got all the ink and the political ink that I'm not proud of. And, you know, you got to earn all that in the state of California. It's, it's a little different. You got some ink from your previous life. From my previous life. Yeah, and everything absolutely. is prison ink. It's all homemade, single needle, all in a cell. That's the best stuff, right? Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> nothing that I'm proud of today. You know, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't, but I'm, I'm stuck with it. It makes you you, though. You yeah. know, I'm sure that helps with relatability. Yeah. When somebody, yeah. when you look, can look across from somebody and you know that they've been through this same stuff you've been through, yep. you can identify with them. Perceive similarities. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Um. Two, five, six, ten. Can you guess what happened after the ten-year sentence? Got busted again. Mm. But this one was a little unique. Uh, I was in Huntington Beach, at a house. Looked out the window, and I did a TED talk that explains all this. Um, looked out the window, saw a helicopter hovering really high in the sky. It wasn't going anywhere; it was just sitting there. Usually, the helicopters are floating around the city, but it was literally just sitting there. Hour, hour and a half later, it's still sitting there get done with what I'm doing and I get ready to leave and I get in my car and I take off and there was four agencies, Huntington Beach PD, Fountain Valley, Garden Grove and Parole all in hot pursuit. And I had only been out for a couple of months and I had told everybody I knew I'm never going back to prison because I know the next prison term is going to be life in the state of California. Hot pursuit is like high speed chase. High speed chase. So I took off. I wasn't going to stop. And it was, it was, it was uh, pretty hairy because the helicopter had come down. It was shining its spotlight in the car, making it difficult to drive. The cacophony of sound, the pullover, pullover, pullover. And I, it did never really get to high speeds, but I was, had wanton disregard for public safety. I'm going through red lights. I'm displacing the cars that are in my way, trying to get to a bridge in Huntington Beach to throw everything out the window into the water. Sure. Never made it. Got were you, to- you kind of hoping that they would just stop the chase? Was that the I was hoping angle? they'd kill me. Oh, I got to Atlantic and Magnolia and I was going to make a left-hand turn. The cop cars were sitting there and I had a decision to make. Do I stop, let them arrest me and go to prison for the rest of my life? Or do I go through that roadblock and hope that they kill me? And I opted for B. I literally just kind of let off on the gas a little bit, approach those cars and push both cop cars out of the way and hoping that they would think the car is a battering ram and they'd shoot me. And they didn't. I made the left-hand turn and the cop closest to me did the pit maneuver, which is the pursuit intervention technique, spun me out on an embankment and left the car undrivable. And they proceeded to pull me out of that vehicle at gunpoint and gave me one of the worst beatings of my life. And I had every bit of that coming. If I was law enforcement chasing me at that time, I don't know that I'd have treated me any different. The last thing I remember hearing before I passed out was stop, stop. We're going to kill him. I'm literally in a strip mall up on an embankment on the parking lot and people w- were watching what was happening. So they arrested me, got me in the back of the cop car. And needless to say, fast forward, first time I went to court, my deal was 29 years. So if you've never How faced- How old are you at this time? Would have 29 been, years, act that. Yeah, that would have been 17 years ago. When uh, 2005 is when I was, 2004 is when I was going through that. Okay. So, so you'd still be in prison today. I'd still be in prison today. Okay. And I would have, you know- it, on, on a 20-something year sentence in California, I, I wasn't going to come home on time. I was going to go to a four-yard, and all, God only knows what would happen there. But anyway, I, I fought my case for a long time. Some of the ancillary charges fell off, so it went from 29 down to 22. And I kept fighting my case, hoping to get it to something manageable like 15, 2, 5, 6, 10. Had they offered me 15 years, Jared, I wouldn't be sitting here today. I would have went to prison. I'd have gotten out. I'd probably be on my way back in. But the judge was resolute. He would not come off that 22 years. Judge Pacheco made it very clear. You're going back to prison for the rest of your life. We've got you. 
Then I wrote a place called Delancey Street. Uh, some of you may have heard of Delancey Street. It's been around since 1971. There's five of them in the country. Widely known as the gold standard as it relates to therapeutic communities. There's one in San Francisco that's headquarters, one in LA where I went, New Mexico, North Carolina, New York. Minimum two years long, residential, free, no money from the government. It's not treatment, it's behavior modification, which is exactly what I need. That, that sounds familiar, Dave. Right. It's almost <laughs> like I've heard that uh, somewhere before. Right. That's cool, though. So how long have they been doing that? So Delancey Street's been were around. Were they like the original ones that came up with the model? They were one of them. It actually started in the 60s. It was called Synanon. And then Delancey Street and Habilitat and a few others spun off of that when you know Synanon kind of imploded on itself. But I got to Delancey. So I, I wanted to go to Delancey Street. I wrote them a letter. They interviewed me, and the judge said no emphatically. The answer is no, you are not Delancey Street material. I'll never send you there. And then I go back to my cell and I'm dejected. I'm tired. I'm broken. I'm scared. I'm thinking, my goodness, I'm going back to prison. I've only lived there for many years. I'm going to go spend the rest of my life there. And I decided to write Judge Pacheco a letter. And I wrote him four pages front and back. And I never told him he was wrong in his assessment of me because he wasn't. He had me pegged. But I said, Your Honor, what do you got to lose? If you send me to Delancey Street and I graduate, the next time you see me, it's because I'm coming back to say thank you. Or I split or I get kicked out and you could lock me up for the rest of my life. Six weeks later, I went to court in California. It's a little tiny phone booth. When I say phone booth, I mean small. Ankle irons, waist irons, handcuffs. I'll never forget the moment. And I sat down and Judge Pacheco said, Mr. DeRocher, against my better judgment, I'm going to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. I'm letting you go to Delancey Street, but you're pleading guilty today to all of your charges. You're signing a deal for 22 years. When you get kicked out or you split, I've got you for the rest of your life. Now get out of my courtroom. I'll Incredible. Never, I'll never forget. I don't know if you've ever felt vertigo, good news, bad news, completely unexpected, and you kind of get that dizzy feeling. Oh, yeah. That's how I felt in that cage. Yeah. And uh, three years later, when I got to Delancey Street, three years later, I got to go spend some time with Judge Pacheco, me and Alan did. A buddy of mine, it was in Delancey Street, and we sat in chambers and had lunch with him, and got to, I got to thank him for uh, giving me the opportunity. And I saw him many times after that. Dave, that's incredible, man. So talk to me a little bit about your experience at Delancey Street. Um, it was hard. Uh, I got to Delancey Street in L.A., and I brought with me me. Arrogant, sure. pompous, aggressive. Uh, really, I was just a scared, soft little child in, a, in, a, in an adult's body. And I thought that the work I put in in prison, right, I thought being violent, being willing to fight and do things that I had to do in there made me a man. It made me a coward. I was nothing more than a coward, fully tattooed up. I was scared. That's why yeah. I was doing what yeah. I was doing. Real men don't do that. They just do not. Real men are out there working, supporting their families and doing the right thing and not tearing at the fabric of the community. That's a hard thing to get over though, right? Because honestly, whenever we get people, whenever I have a client, I can just speak for myself, that has been through the system, mm -hmm. that's a big thing to let go of. Mm -hmm. Two of the things that always come up for me is like, you know, if, if they say this word, this word, and this word, yeah. I've got to fight. Right. Or, it, you know, if they're going to snitch or tattle or mm -hmm. tell, and that's a hard mentality to break. Yeah. yeah. And I tell people all the time, then don't break it. Go back where you came from. Sure. If you don't want to break that mentality, which is, and how well has it served you so far? Right. How well has that mentality, that thinking served you so far? Stop. Right. So, you know, what I so tell people. So you got to experience that firsthand. So I now do. when you're working with other people, you it's almost like looking in a mirror, I'm sure. Thousands of times I sit and talk <laughs> to somebody like you and I'm looking at me and they can't, you know, I, I understand why they feel that way because I did too. But let me explain, uh, you know, there's, it's funny when people come to us that have a history like my own, I'll ask them, I'll go, so let me ask you a question. Before you got here, do you have a reputation? Well, yeah, you have a reputation. Huh? Yeah. How'd you get it? Well, I was willing to do this or do that. I said, so you got a reputation? Yeah. You built it on, how did you build it? I don't know. I did this. You did it by doing the wrong thing. You've got a reputation, but you build a reputation by doing the wrong thing. You ain't, you don't have any character. How do you build character? I don't know by doing the right thing. I did the same thing. I thought I had a reputation in the state of California going in and out of prison on the streets because of what I was willing to do. I, how can you have a good reputation living in jail or prison? Yeah, no, all that's just a facade. It's all just, yeah. the, you know what I mean? It's the, the that false sense of ego. It's what I think yep. you think about me. It's all, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yep. That's all broken thought. Yep. Yeah. So to answer your question, Delancey Street was difficult. It, was, it wasn't easy, but here's the thing. I stayed there eight and a half years. Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Now let people. You only had to be three. three two years. Right? I'd be there for two years. You committed right? for two. I committed for two. 
I stayed a third voluntarily. And then when I was going to stay a fourth, because I realized at a year and a half, I wasn't ready. Some things happened in Delancey Street that exposed me even more. I wasn't ready to reintegrate back into the community as a productive member. I would have went back to jail or prison. So right after I, de I decided to stay another year, Mimi Silbert, the president, came down from San Francisco and we had a meeting. And I'll never forget this. It was like sitting in that cage in the courtroom. She says, Dave, how much longer will you stay? I said, I don't know, Mimi. I just made another commitment. She says, that's not what I'm asking you. I go, what are you asking me? She says, how much longer will you stay? I said, I don't know. She looked at me. She goes, five years. And I thought, five more years? From when? She goes, from right now. I had no idea what her plans were. I had no idea. I just thought about my life for the past few decades, what a chaotic animal I had become, and that she was asking me to stay five more years. And I said, yes. She goes, are you sure? I said, are you? Not long after that, I, had, I managed the entire L.A. facility. 200 to 250 residents living on property, 15 vocational training schools that generated all of the revenue. But she didn't tell me that when she asked me if I would stay. Those were her plans that I didn't know about. But I fell in love with the process, and for the first time in my life, me. And what I mean by that is my life had meaning, it had purpose. I found something I was good at, and it was helping other people. And previous to that, I had spent my life helping other people die, and I really loved helping people live. Yeah, to be on the other side of that coin has got to be incredible. Got to be incredible. Yep. That's amazing. So I know we're, I, I'm missing these sponsorship mentions, but uh, episode 66 part two is brought to you by the Hilton Garden Inn. Hilton Garden Inn, if you're traveling through southern Utah, give them a Google search. Just type in Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. Dave stayed there, right, last night? Yep. Pretty good place, pretty clean, pretty friendly. Clean, friendly, great breakfast, uh, wonderful place to stay. Yeah, absolutely. And I then, would stay again. Yeah. And then our second one for this uh, series is going to be Recovery Strong. Uh, Recovery Strong is all about fighting addiction and uh, fighting addiction, strengthening recovery. Go to recoverystrong.com, click on the gearbox. I got on one of their hats today. It's got a cool little a little patch on it. Uh, they got t-shirts, they got hoodies, they got all kinds of good stuff. So check those guys out. Okay. Thank you for sharing your story with us. You're welcome. So life in recovery today. Yeah. Eventually you go through the program, you do the eight years where do you go from there? So I, I had met a gentleman by the name of Bob Burkich while I was at the other or while I was at Delancey Street, and he owned a construction company called Burkich Construction. And uh, once we became friends, he said, "Dave, when you're done here, I want to hire you." I said, "You do?" I had been in Delancey Street for eight and a half years. I hadn't had a job since the '80s. Now hold on, is this a guy? This is a guy that works there for Delancey. No, he Street. he actually did a a he came Delancey Street has tree lots, right? big trees, 25 foot noble firs that we put in those buildings downtown Los Angeles. Anyway, he came to look for a large tree for his front yard and we be, we started talking. And then I had a project I needed done in the back of the Hilton Hotel. It happens to be an old Hilton Hotel built in oh. LA for the 84 Olympics. And he donated his services, a $30,000 project to help us clear out the sewage system. And we became friends. And that's when he said, when you're done here, I want to hire you. He hired me at Burkitt's Construction at nearly $30 an hour, which was a lot of money for a guy like me who last worked for, I don't know, seven seventy-five dollars at a pizza place, right? <laughs> right. Um, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. So when I left Delancey Street, I went to work for Bob Burkitt, uh, hauling heavy equipment, got my commercial license and doing underground pipeline construction. Then I got an opportunity to go to the Bakken in the oil fields up in North Dakota. Oh, yeah. And I made stupid money. You I and me made, both. Yeah. Yep. Did you, were yep. you up in Williston? Yep. Yep. Yeah, me too. Watford, Boston. Yeah. 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 I was living in Sydney, Montana. Crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, but hey, listen, if you got a lot of back debt, you got things you need to pay off yep. and you, you're trying to get ahead, guess what? You got to grind, right? Yeah. You got to you gotta yeah. put in the hard work. Well, the beautiful thing was it was about a dozen Delancey Street graduates that were up there. So we all went up there. We were our <laughs> yeah. own tribe. We lived together. Cool. We worked together. We held each other accountable. It was a great opportunity. And I made, I say it all the time, stupid money, but I realized two things while I was there. Making money's fun. Make no mistake about it. And I was putting a lot of money in the bank and the cops couldn't take it from me this time. But I also realized something else that saving lives is rewarding. I missed the people part. I missed Delancey Street. They don't have paid positions. I can't go back to work there. I missed the people part. So I came back to Southern California, went back to work for Bob Burkett's Construction and started going into small treatment facilities around Los Angeles, doing presentations and speaking. And then through a serendipitous chain of events, call it a God shot because I believe that's what it was. Joseph Grenny, our founder, right? who's a New York Times bestselling author. He wrote Crucial Conversations, Crucial Accountability, Change Anything, and The Influencer Book. Uh, reached out with Tim Stay, our CEO, and uh, a few 
other connections brought us together and they flew to Los Angeles and we sat down at LA Live and they said, or at Fleming's at LA Live in LA and they said, Dave, would you be willing to come to Utah and help us get this started? We want to start a replication of Delancey Street. And I said, not if you guys quit in six months when it gets hard. And that was early <laughs> 2015, middle of that year in August, I moved to Utah with some other Delancey Street graduates, Lola Zagi, Ellen Faringer, Steve, Chris and Sharon, and we started the Other Side Academy. Are they still here now? They are. Wow, that's amazing. Yep. And we all went through Delancey Street together. Why Utah? Because that's where Joseph and Tim live. Oh, got you. It wasn't my idea to come here. It was Joseph and Tim's to start a replication of Delancey Street. And then they reached out to me and I was able to bring some other Delancey Street graduates so we could get it started. That's a, that that's incredible. You, you know, know what's wonderful? Thing? You know what's wonderful is yeah. to go through a program like Delancey Street and make life, lifelong friends and then have an opportunity like this come around and call them. Alan was in New Mexico. Chris was in Southern California driving over the road truck. His uh, wife now was working on the boulevard uh, doing tours. Lola Zagi was working uh, uh, for her family who are all in the medical profession. She's living on the beach in Manhattan Beach. And Steve was up in the Bakken in North Dakota. And I call all of them and say, here's what's happening. Do you guys want on? They said, when do we leave? It's wow. incredible. I, I get teared up thinking about it. That's how close we were. And when I said, this is what we're going to do, they said, we're on. We're in. I think that's just an testament to how close that community of those, you know, you get super close. Yeah. You're with somebody for a number of years. You're, you're spending holidays with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Birthdays. I mean, you, to some degree, they become like a family. Yep. Yeah. There's a family you're born into and the one you choose. Yeah. That's incredible. And everybody came from everywhere. Yeah. That's amazing. They had all graduated and had all, all of them had really good jobs, but they wanted back in also. And when I said, this is what we're going to try to do, they said, when are we leaving? And they all left their respective jobs their families, their homes, and came out here, and we started it. Now we have two facilities. That's incredible. And a bunch of different businesses that you mm-hmm. that you run as well. Yeah. There's a lot to manage. There's a lot to maintain. It's I'm crazy. sure you got some good people around <laughs> you, right? Oh, you got a wonderful team. I like team. Robin. Robin's, she, she's awesome. Yeah. She helped, you know, organize some of this today. So, yeah, I bet I bet it can be yeah. overwhelming at times. Robin, How many residents did you say you guys have? I've got 97 there. Now the two, I had 95, but two of them are coming back from St. George today. So we'll have yeah. 97 and 32 or 33 in Denver. And hundreds of graduates now. And it took a couple of years to get the graduates out the pipeline because it's such a long program. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And but it's these, been around for three years so far. Oh, uh, since 2015, six and a half. Oh, wow. Six and a half. Yep. Man, I've learned a whole lot about, about that. So what's, so what, what is it moving forward? What do you, what do you want? What do you hope it grows into? Are you, do you have any future plans? What's the vision? So I don't know if, uh, those who are listening, if they've heard about the tiny home village for the chronically homeless. We're starting something in Salt Lake. We're not going to reinvent the wheel. We're just going to make it much better. We've gone all over the world studying other models, right? There's a certain population we can't help, people with severe mental health issues and, and physical disabilities. But there are some areas uh, in, the, in the country, Eden Village in Springfield, Missouri, uh, Community First in Austin, Texas, 51 acres of land, 350 tiny homes housing uh, the chronically homeless. We have entered into a relationship with the city, the mayor, uh, the police, and we are going to build a tiny home community for the chronically homeless, a master planned uh, 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 large community of about three, uh, 400, 450 homes, auditoriums, social enterprises for the population we can't help the chronically homeless. And it's going to be permanent housing, someplace for them to live with a dignified life. Now there's a lot of complications in there. Don't get it all, you know, it's, it's, gonna, not, it's gonna be difficult. Yeah. But we're a year into the process now. We've raised a considerable amount of money. We have a huge groundswell of developers and contractors who wanna help. And when I tell you we're gonna do this, we're going to do this. Because we realize there's a certain part of the population that TOSA can't help, the Other Side Academy. So this is needed and it's going to work and it's going to help take some of the chronically homeless off the streets and into a clean and sober environment because it's going to be a clean and sober environment and it's going to have social enterprises, uh, dog grooming, coffee shop, deli, auditorium, cultural hall, grocery store, everything on property for this population to, to live and thrive and to become the best versions of themselves. Now, do you, you guys have, do you do a lot of work with the homeless up there in Salt Lake right now? I th- a lot of our population have been chronically homeless, a percentage right. of them, and many of them have been situationally homeless. But again, you know, there's a certain population we can't help, right, that have uh, mental health issues and, and require that's, that's what I was going to actually, yeah, bring up. You know, my experience, I was, I was homeless for a period of time down in Salt Lake City mm-hmm. before I, you know, started my journey of recovery. Yeah. And uh, the one thing that looking back that I can remember now, knowing what I know, 
uh, getting some schooling and stuff is there's a lot of mental health. A lot of it is mental health. It is. Yep. And so I, I don't know. I, I think that's incredible. I just didn't know if you guys had any plans for, is there like a requirement, that type of a thing? So for the other side Academy, the requirement is a genuine desire to change. Uh, the hard stops, people we can't help are sex offenders, requires a different uh, level of, of help than we're able to provide. People who have uh, been convicted of arson, not the eight-year-old who burned a trash can in his room, but the sure. adult who burns things for sport because sure. they're unhappy. And um, and people who actually require psychotropic medications that actually require it, not situational. Most of my population have suffered from anxiety or depression, but you know, when you're running We're talking the heavy law, psychotic meds, yeah, absolutely. schizophrenia, bipolar, borderline. Absolutely. You bet. Yeah. So that's the population we can't help at Tosa, but the other side, vi- or the, uh, the other side village, we can. And there'll be uh, outside agencies coming in. They'll be basically there all the time to help this population with those issues. That's amazing. That's amazing. we got about a minute and a half left here, Dave. Again, I want to thank you for coming on. I, I really am very grateful for you taking the time out of your busy schedule to jump on here with us. What do you want the, the listeners to lo- know in the last minute? First of all, Jared, it's it's it real. It's been an honor to to be able to do this with you and to get to know you. I'm glad that we've made this uh, connection because I want to stay in contact with you. And congratulations on your success because you're going to help through this a lot of people find help, and you're going to save more lives than you realize. I just want people who are listening to know that the Other Side Academy isn't for everybody. Happy House isn't for everybody. All these, you know, you need a, a continuum of care because everybody needs something different. But for those who are struggling out there, and the 30, 60, 90 day models haven't worked for them reach out to the Other Side Academy. We'll be happy to interview you either over the phone, uh, in jail if you're incarcerated, or come in and take a seat on the bench and we'll interview you. Whether we can help you or somebody else, we'll, we'll help find you some help if we can. There is help out there. We just have to humble ourselves and ask for it. Absolutely. How do they get a hold of you? They can either write us from jail, pre-sentence. We'll go to the jails and interview. They can call us, right? Theothersideacademy.com. You can find the number right there. Uh, or just come right in and have a seat on the bench and ask for an interview. And if we accept you, you start that day. You don't need anything. Thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate you coming on. Join us next week for episode 67. We're going to talk about a little step work. We're going to talk about step six and step seven, uh, character defects. Thanks again, buddy. I I should probably be here for that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.